A reading from the fourth chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew, beginning with the first verse. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted forty days and forty nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan! For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only Him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. The Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I saw a bumper sticker one time that stuck with me. I've seen it on t-shirts, I think. I've seen it on Facebook memes. I've seen it posted places that every, everybody posts things. And likely you've heard it before. And maybe it stuck with you too. It echoes the Lord's Prayer. It said, lead me not into temptation. I can find it fine all by myself. Isn't that true about us? It's true about me. Sometimes it seems no matter how hard I guard myself, sooner or later something will be before me that entertains my attractions or my response. Invites me to do something that I know I shouldn't do, something that I shouldn't think, something that I shouldn't say. Sometimes it's just somebody being mean to someone. Sometimes me, sometimes someone else. I don't want to lash out and correct them. You ever had that experience? Been at a family dinner? Your uncle says something stupid and you want to tell him it was stupid? But you have to hold back? Temptation comes in all kinds of ways that we might think aren't big deals. We might be tempted to steal an ink pen from work. We might be tempted to get away with not paying a bill. We might be tempted to do something that other people would say, Yeah, I'd, I don't do that either. But ultimately, God holds us to a different standard, church, because we are called to be different in the world. We are called to be set apart and to show the world that it is not necessary to give our body, soul, and spirit to every single thing that comes along. 
How in the world will we manage that? How in the world is that possible when we know that we failed yesterday and the chances are we will fail tomorrow in some way? Someone will make us mad and we will flip them off on the interstate. Someone will make us mad and will say something to them that we never would have said otherwise. Or maybe the truth is somebody makes us mad and what we really think about them suddenly comes gurgling out of our throat. And if you've had that experience, you know it's too late to get it back, right? You can say all you want to, I didn't mean to say that, but they know that that's exactly what you meant and exactly what you think because you said it in a moment of honest anger. Boy, those are the ones that sometimes hurt the most. Temptation is a real thing. When we read this story and we hear of Jesus being taken up, we look and we say, oh, it's only three. Jesus got it easy. I'm tempted like five or six times every day. But I'm sure that the Gospel writers are just giving us three of the overalls. Because you see, in one way, he's tempted to provide for himself without concern for how God would have him be provided for. He's attempted to do a parlor trick and, and take, his, take his divinity for granted. To do something to sustain himself when he knows that God will provide for him. To do something simply because the devil challenged him to do it. I learned in Greek class that the if you are the son of God is a kind of conditional statement that means that the devil was essentially saying, since you're the son of God, turn these loaves into bread. You don't have to be hungry. But if we notice carefully, we'll see that it was the Holy Spirit that led Jesus into the wilderness. And He's there for God's purposes. He's there for God's purposes, not just to be tested Himself, but to show us what it looks like to resist. To show us what it looks like to not give in just because we're tired of fighting. Or just because things are hard. And next, He's tempted with power. He's tempted with popularity. He's tempted with gaining all the powers of the world. Not through the way that God has for him to do it, but through the way that the devil would offer them to him. I'm sure that Jesus would have made a good ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. But it's not the way that God has for him to come to that. For Jesus knows that God's way is through the cross. And strangely enough, one day Jesus would break bread and multiply it and use His powers to show us who He was. And one day Jesus would, in fact, hurl Himself off of the temple into death on the cross. And what should be our response? When we see Jesus tempted in the same ways that we're tempted, because we want something and we feel like we deserve it, to get it any way we want to, when we're tempted to do something wrong for the gain of having something we feel we should have had anyway, because I'm certain Jesus felt like He should have had bread in the wilderness. Or when we're tempted to do some kind of trick or take a shortcut or do something to fool someone and gain something that we think we should have. Or when we're tempted... To lie and cheat our way into gain. We can look here and see that Jesus was tempted in the same ways. Not different ways than we're tempted, but in the exact same ways. 
And some people take that as an opportunity to start stockpiling Bible verses that they can shout back at the devil. And that's a perfectly good exercise. The more of Scripture we have in our heart, the more we will be encouraged to stand against the devil and his tricks. The more Scripture we have in our heart, the more we can speak it to ourselves as a way of ensuring that we don't give in too easily. But there's another thing that we can do. We can look at this story and ask ourselves, not what am I supposed to learn about myself in it? Not what am I supposed to learn when I, about doing when I'm tempted? Not, not to read in it for how we're supposed to act, but to simply see what Jesus did. And I know that seems overly simple. And it's the first time I've ever said it about this text. Usually I like to do those kind of store up verses and, and look at this and find yourself in it kind of sermons. But here today, I just want you to see Jesus. God in the flesh, come to take on your form. Gone out into the desert to endure your temptations. Do you hear me, church? Your temptations, the same thing that the devil brings against you, he brought against the Son of God in the desert. And Jesus resented them for God, he resisted them for God, and he resisted them for you. Because his resistance to those things made it possible for him to die and be raised for you, to set you free from sin and death. The fight that he had with the devil in this desert as he was hungry and thirsty and miserable was for you. For 40 days, that's a Hebrew idiom, for as long as it took till he was almost broken, I would imagine. Till he felt abandoned and alone and he stood firm for you. For you. How in the world should we respond to that? And I guess deciding to use the same tactic and look at this as a, I guess a crash course in how to resist the devil would be a good response, wouldn't it? It would. But it might not be the best response. Perhaps the best response to this story, the best thing we can do is see Jesus suffering on our behalf. See Him being tempted from by the devil and standing firm for us. And in simply being thankful. Sometimes when I hear some Christians talking about Jesus being tempted and suffering and dying for them, it sounds almost as if they think it's something that Jesus had to do for them. That they were somehow worthy of it. This is what Jesus had to do to save me. And that's, that's a little weird. Jesus didn't have to save any of us. Jesus chose to. He chose to endure what we just read for our sakes. For your sake and my sake. Boy, it seemed like our hearts should be happy and glad about that somehow. Although deep in the pit of my stomach, I feel a sadness that He had to do that for me. But there it is. Jesus tempted in the desert. For what purpose? so that He truly could be sinless and die in my place. 
And the question I ask myself this week is, am I thankful for what He's done? What do you think, church? Is that a good question? Am I thankful for what He's done? Jesus was sitting at a Pharisee's table one time and a woman came in and she fell at Jesus' feet and began crying. And she cried so hard that she was able to clean His nasty feet with her hair. He walked around in sandals and dirt all day. She cleaned His feet with her hair and her tears. And Jesus looked at that Pharisee and He said, Simon, who loves the most? One who's been forgiven a little or one who's been forgiven a lot? And He said, the one who has been forgiven the most. What have you have been forgiven for? What temptations have you failed in the face of? What things have you done that you would be ashamed for anyone to know? What thoughts have you had that you're glad didn't make it out of your head? What words have you spoken that were spoken intent to do harm? What words have you said that were meant to shame someone? What things have you done that brought dishonor to someone else? Those are all ways that we've failed. But Jesus, presented with the same temptations, overcame them for our sakes. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says about it. It's the greeting we just use. He writes, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus endured these temptations for the purpose of opening the throne of grace for you. And He was tempted in every single way that you have ever been tempted. So that you could come to that throne of grace knowing that He knows what it's like to be in your shoes. And that He will empathize with your weakness and give you the grace that you seek. And I wonder, are we thankful? Are we thankful? In the communion liturgy, one section of it is called the Great Thanksgiving. If you've never noticed that before, Pay attention as we go through it in your hymnal today. See where it starts and hear carefully those words. The great thanksgiving, the Eucharisto, is what gives this meal its name. We call it Eucharist because in this meal we give thanks to Christ. We give thanks to the eternal triune God for what God has done for us. As you come today, think about those ways that you were tempted. Think about the ways that Jesus was tempted. And think about His overcoming of the temptation for your sake. And dear ones, as you come to this table today, come being thankful. 
in your mind when you receive the broken body, give thanks for what He has done for you. I think today that's what we need to see in this text. Not a plan for how we can avoid temptation or overcome it, but just for a moment to simply say, thank You, Lord, for what You have done for me. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.